Go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 5, if you would please. Luke chapter 5. If I were to begin this morning by saying to you, let me tell you something strange. Would that uh, pique your interest? You know, our dictionary, and most of the world for that matter, interprets strange to be creepy or spooky, weird, odd. Naturally, our, our uh, naturally speaking man has a great curiosity and is easily engrossed into the things of the strange and the mysterious. But look at verse 26 of Luke chapter 5 here. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. That word strange in the Greek means a paradox. The word paradox means something contradictory to the norm. It means contrary to expectation. It means contrary to common opinion. It means something unfamiliar, something new, something out of the ordinary. Paradox. Strange. And this is the only time that this particular Greek word, which is called paradoxus, is found in the Bible. But it's my prayer and desire this morning that we may leave this place today saying, we've seen strange things today. Every time we hear the gospel with our hearts, and I say that on purpose, I know we hear with these ears, but if... As Brother Mahan used to say, it's a, it's a long way from here to here. We need to hear these things with our hearts. But it's my desire that we do and that we should say, what a strange, peculiar, extraordinary, contrary to normal thing we've seen and heard today. Now, what occurred this day in our text that was so strange, peculiar, extraordinary, and contrary to the norm? Well, let's begin at verse 15 and we'll see. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of Him, speaking of the Lord Jesus, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by Him of their infirmities. And He withdrew Himself into the wilderness and prayed. Verse 17, And it came to pass on a certain day, as He, the Lord, was teaching, there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee, and Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. What a strange thing. God the Son is in this house teaching and the upper crest, uh, crust, whatever you want to call it in religion, the doctors of the law, the religious experts of the day, they're sitting by. All the big wigs in religion were there. They came out of every town, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, which was the headquarters. They were not there to hear the Word of God. They didn't come to learn something of God's 
kingdom, His mercy and His grace. They weren't hungry to learn of something of God or themselves. These religionists aren't really listening in order to benefit themselves. They're listening to what the Lord says that they may accuse Him. They're sitting by to catch Him in some error. They're sitting by in judgment of God. What a strange thing. They sit in the front row. As you know, they desired the uppermost seats in the tabernacles. It was the same here. And I can just see this throng of people just kind of part as these Pharisees with their big robes and phylacteries walk in. And they walk right to the front place there where the Lord is teaching. They sit by in their arrogance and judgment. Now the Son of God, God the Son is in their presence and they sit by so that they might find fault in Him. You're not going to find fault in Him. He's God. We're told that the power of the Lord was present to heal them, but they're not doing anything but sitting by. They have no need of a physician. They have no need of healing. So they're not interested. They're just sitting by. The Lord, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is the power of God. Power is His to give. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, the Lord told His disciples, Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He said, I give you that power. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, we're told that He, Christ, has the power to open eyes and to turn from darkness unto light and deliver from the power of Satan that we might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in Him. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, the Lord said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He is power. Christ told Pilate in John chapter 19, verse 11, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. And what a strange and amazing statement that is when you think about it. It was Christ, God in the flesh, that gave Pilate the power that he had to condemn the Lord Jesus. What proof that is that our Lord voluntarily laid down His life. Now, whatever sin, whatever physical infirmity, whatever trial or trouble that we have, He has the power to heal. Luke chapter 9 verse 11 says that He healed them that had need of healing. I quoted that in the first hour. The question is, do you have a need of healing? Christ is the great physician to those that have need. He has the power to heal. The question is, do you have the need to be healed? Look at verse 18. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. He, this man was crippled and he couldn't walk. He was a paralytic. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him, before the Lord Jesus. We're told in Mark's account that the house was so crowded that this man's friends couldn't get to the Lord Jesus. 
So what did they do? They, they don't give up and go home. They weren't discouraged and got angry. Well, no, as we say, they wouldn't be denied. They didn't do that at all. What did they do? Verse 19 tells us, and when they could not find what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and they let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. They did what? Well, that's a strange thing. They carried this man on top of the house, began to remove a portion of the roof, and they dropped this man down in front of the Lord Jesus. What a strange thing. Was it? What lengths will you go to to see your loved ones saved? They sought means, it says. Words mean something in the Scripture. They sought means. They were determined. They sought means to bring this man before Christ. Have you sought the means to bring your loved ones to Christ? Have you brought them to uh, hear the Gospel, which is the only means by which sinners can be saved? And I was thinking as I was preparing this message, what if we heard a commotion this morning up on the roof and the ceiling began to break and tiles began to fall down and insulation and all that and someone let a man down through the roof? That'd be a strange thing, wouldn't it? It certainly wouldn't be normal. Sadly, we got plenty of room for the needy. That's, that's what's strange. It ought not be. You know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If I had a potion that would heal every disease or if I had a pill I could give you that you could take and have life eternal, live forever, people would be backed up and down Princeton Pike Road for miles to get in. And there would be some, I dare say, that may climb on the roof and start tearing away to get to it. We don't have that problem. And it's not because of the lack of interest. It never is. It's because of a lack of need. If you love Christ and you're saved, and if you love someone and want them to be saved, you will seek the means. And the means is the preaching of Christ. He is the one thing what? Needful. All and God will supply all your need, singular, according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. These men knew that the Lord was the only one that could help them, and whatever it took to get their friend to Christ, they were, they were going to do. And you might say, well, that's a strange thing. So this man, this this one who couldn't walk, this paralytic man, he's led down from the rooftop in the midst of the Lord. And I can just imagine that everyone's eyes are on the Lord to see what He would do. And their eyes are very attentive to what He's going to say next. They just knew what He was going to say. As He had before and would do again, they expected Him to say, Arise and take up your couch and walk. Well, after all, isn't that what the man needs? 
Isn't that what the man wants? Isn't that what his friends, isn't that why his friends brought him? So that must be what the Lord does, but it's not. He says something very strange to them. He, he says something that they don't expect him at all to say. Verse 20, and when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And you can almost hear the crowd sigh in disappointment. You know, many of them thought that they were going to see something great that day, a great miracle. That's why a lot of them were there. A big percentage of that crowd was there for that reason. Many followed the Lord for the miracles that He did. But when the Lord says this strange thing, their expectations are crushed. They wanted to, something to go home and brag about. You know how we are. Let me tell you what I saw this weekend. Guys gather around the water fountain or the coffee pot at work. Let me tell you what I saw. But their expectations are crushed. They wanted to tell folks what they saw and say, I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. You know how men are by nature. Women too. By telling the lame man, thy sins be forgiven, they're disappointed because that's something you can say and, and no one looks different. Are you going to... How are you going to know that his sins are forgiven? What, what is the proof that those sins are forgiven? But the Pharisees and the doctors of the law cannot believe what they've just heard. Look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, this is another one of those times they didn't mean it in a good way, but they were right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Just like when the Lord was on the cross, they said He saved others, but He cannot save Himself. They were right. He couldn't save sinners and save Himself. He had to die in their room instead. And these self-righteous Pharisees and scribes and doctors of the law, they reasoned within themselves, we've got Him now. We've got him now. This is what we've been waiting for. He's messed up. He said the wrong thing. We're going to head back to Jerusalem. We're going to tell the upper echelons what he said. He's blasphemed God. We've heard it with our own ears. Who can forgive sins but God? And you know what? They were right. They were right. Only God can forgive sins. And this, this was the pro their problem with the Lord all along. They had a problem with a man making himself God. But this was God who made himself a man. In John chapter 10, the Jews were pressing the Lord about being the Christ. They said, tell us plainly. We've asked you over and over. Quit beating around the bush. Are you the Christ or not? And the Lord answered them and said, I told you. I've told you time and time again, but you believe me not. And you believe not because you're not of my sheep. You see, only God's sheep believe who Christ is. And the, they picked up stones to stone Him. The Lord said, 
Many good works have I shown thee from my Father. For which of those good works do ye stone me? And they answered, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. The same thing that they're accusing him of here. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. No. He is God. He is God. And they once again have it back, backwards. Christ was God who made Himself a man. And the God-man, He could forgive sin. He still can. He still does. This wasn't blasphemy at all. Sin is always directed towards God. Ultimately, all sins against Him and Him only. If, if I steal from you, technically speaking, I've sinned uh, against God. I've sinned against Him. God is the one who gave the law and said, Thou shalt not steal. It's God's law. It's not yours. Now, it's not right that I steal from you. You're no doubt a victim if I do. But it's God that I'm sinning against. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He committed murder against Uriah, her husband. But in Psalm 51, David said, Against thee, speaking to God, and thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Well, what about Bathsheba? Didn't he sin against her? What about Uriah? Didn't he sin against him? But David confesses that his sin is against God and God only. You see, it was God that said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. It was God said, Thou shalt not kill. His sin was against God. It was God that David sinned against. It was God's law that David broke. My sin, though it may hurt you and offend you, it's an indebtedness to God. It's a disobedience against Him. Let me try to give you an example. Let's say that I run into Chris's car and I told it. And I don't have insurance and I refuse to pay for it. Now, that doesn't change the fact that I'm in his debt. My offense is against Chris. I've wronged him. It's only right that I pay for it. And let's say that Molly, she sees me out and she says, David, I'm going to forgive you of that debt. And I'm going to relieve you of any obligation to pay for the damage to my dad's car. Well, let me tell you, that's not going to happen. Chris not going to allow that to happen. And it wouldn't be right. That car doesn't belong to Molly. It belongs to Chris. Chris would say to Molly, what gives you the right to forgive that debt and relieve David's obligation of that debt to me for something that belongs to me and doesn't belong to you? That's a very good point. And that's exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees are saying here. Jesus, what gives you the right to say to a man that's offended God what gives you the right to say that his sin debt is forgiven, wiped clean, absolved, and omitted? You're not God. Who died and made you God? And what the Lord is saying is, I am God. I am that I am. His sin was against me. 
All sin, every sin, every last one's against him. So now the scribes and the Pharisees believe that they have this self-proclaimed God backed into a corner, but they don't. You can't back God into a corner. Christ, what Christ does next kills all their hopes and dreams and desires of thinking that they can. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, verse 22, He answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? The point I'm making is, is looking at this man, you cannot tell if his sins are forgiven or not. The Lord said, Your sins are forgiven you. The Lord here in verse 30, 23, excuse me, knowing their thoughts and knowing exactly what they're thinking says this, whether or which is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk. Which is easier to say? You ever thought about it? Which is more difficult? Thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise up and walk. Now, if I claim to be one of these faith healers today, like we see on television, and four men carried someone in here this morning and said, dropped him down here in front of the pulpit and said, okay, there he is, heal him. You claim to be able to heal him, so heal him. Wouldn't it be easier for me to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, It'd be easier to say that for the simple reason is who would know? It's easier to say, it's easy to say, but it's impossible to do because only God can do it because no man can. But he doesn't look any different. It's impossible to look on a man and know whether or not his sins are forgiven. So how are you going to know? How are you going to know? You see, I've... I've eluded what I claim to be. But look what our Lord says in verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of God hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go to thine own house. And immediately he arose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Here's the proof that you can know what you can't see. This is the visible sign that the Lord has the power to forgive sin. This is the sign, the validation that Jesus Christ is God. He can forgive sin because of who He is. Because only God can do the things that He did. Causing this man to walk as small potatoes compared to forgiving his sin. And now the scribes and the Pharisees are somewhat stumped. They had accused the Lord of blaspheming. What are they going to say now? This man Christ is a blasphemer. How... If this man Christ is a blasphemer, how can you do the thing? How can he do the things that he does? You know what that is? That's a strange thing. 
That's a paradox. It's a seeming contradiction. You see two things you, you just can't that you just can't put together. That's what this was. They they couldn't put how do, how can these things be, they asked. The Pharisees reason we heard him say things that he can't do, it was just easier for him to say, but now he does what no man can do. What a strange thing. Now I want you to think about this. The Lord has drawn our attention to the small things, to the main thing. What's the real reason Christ came into the world? Every person that our Lord healed that was sick more than likely got sick again. He didn't just come to heal the sick. He didn't come into the world to cast out devils. The Lord Himself talked about the devil coming back to that clean and swept house and the one who was the devils were cast out of became seven times worth, worse than at first. That's a very... Uh, it's, there's reason to think that those that were once possessed got possessed again. So He didn't come to, to just cast out devils. And Christ didn't just come to feed the hungry. Those that he fed, those men that he, those five thousand men that he fed with those five loaves and two fishes, I always get which one mixed up which one it was. I think it's five loaves and a couple of fishes. They got hungry again the next day. We're fixing to go down and eat. I'm going to eat my face off, but I'm going to be hungry again tomorrow. Christ didn't come just to raise the dead physically. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. But Lazarus died again. He's not with us today. And though these are no doubt wondrous, marvelous miracles, signs and wonders, they, they were but temporary. Now, if you want to know why Christ came, we've got to go back to the giving of His name in Matthew one twenty one. Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from what? Their sin. These were just signs that Christ could forgive and put away sin. This is the miracle that you and I desperately need. We need Christ to put away our sin. This man with the palsy had an immediate need, but it was just a temporary fix. He left walking on his own two feet, but one day he was laid in a grave. Just a temporary fix. He had a much greater need, and that was for his sin to be forgiven and put away. And it's the same with all of us. We have temporary needs and we ask the Lord to grant them, but our real need is deliverance from sin. What difference is it going to make in the long run if we're healed from cancer? We're still going to die one day and face God in the judgment. It's appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. What, what difference is it going to make in the long run of how much money we have or how successful we are? We're still going to die. 
And with like, like Job, we're going to say, uh, naked I came in the world and naked I'm going to leave. We're not going to take anything with us. When our lungs draw their last breath, when our heart beats its last beat, what difference are any of these things going to make when we face God in the judgment? There's only one thing that's going to matter in that day. What think you of Christ? Christ is the one thing needful. The Lord told the Jews in John chapter 8, verse 24, I say unto you, I therefore say unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sin. What do you think of Christ? You believe in Him? To die in your sins is to be lost forever. The one thing we really need is Christ. That He is what's absolutely necessary. The one thing that cannot be taken away. That's what He told, uh, that's what he told Martha. And she's chosen the good part. She's sitting at the feet. You're running around waiting hand and foot on everybody and you, all you're doing, all you are is stressed about it. She chose the one thing needful. Does that sound strange to you? You know, some of the old prophets did miracles. Elijah and Elijah. And many of the prophets did miracles. But this is what sets Christ the prophet apart from all the rest. The prophets of old could not forgive sin. But He can. I know one who can. And that's better than any potion or pill that I could give you. And whether it was Nicodemus who was a seemingly honest man or that woman at the well in Samaria that had had five husbands, they both needed but one thing. They needed the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a strange thing to the world. You tell people things like that and they, they look at you like you're crazy. It's a paradox to them. And the reason, and the proof of it is they wouldn't try to so hard to save themselves if they didn't think it was. We give thanks unto the Father who has made us, made unto us, meet, fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood. Even, even the forgiveness of sin. What a strange thing this is to the world. What a strange thing to the world's religion. Is it a strange thing to you? No, it shouldn't be. Why? Because God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. There I said it again. God did for us what we could not do. Even if we could have, we wouldn't have. You cannot come to me that you might have life, and even if you could, you will not come to me that you might have life. You know, a drowning man doesn't need a 
cup of cold water. A man with cancer doesn't need an aspirin. In the end, what good will it do him? What difference will those things make if this main thing is not addressed? I need my sin to be forgiven. So do you. I need for my sin to be put away. So do you. Verse 26 again in closing. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Are you amazed this morning? Do you stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene? Are you glorifying God? Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory. He's the only one that gets glory in the salvation of sinners. Are you filled with reverence and fear of the One who loved you and gave Himself for you? If so, you've seen some strange things. We've seen strange things today, haven't we? Well, may God be pleased to make it so for His glory our good and for Christ's sake.